Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Let's pray together as we stand. Our Heavenly Father, indeed, how wonderful, how marvellous uh, is your Son. We praise you for the privilege of being able to join in this song as his redeemed, as those uh, who will rejoice uh, with him in your heaven. Uh, forever, rejoicing in his wonderful sacrifice and his blood shed for us. We pray now, as we open uh, your word to us, that we would see once again, uh, perhaps afresh, perhaps for the first time, just how wonderful he really is. Amen. Amen. Please take a seat. And uh, uh, please turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 14 as we continue uh, our, our journey through this book together, chapter 14, page 1243. Uh, We're up to 1243. It is indeed, as we have just sung, marvellous, wonderful, in fact, uh, the privilege we have as a church family to be able to rejoice in the Saviour's love together, uh, to speak of it, uh, to celebrate it, to encourage one another with it. We are those who have the privilege of taking that message to one another, to our city, to the nations of this world. We are a church with a very simple ambition to glorify God through that message, Uh, building one another up, reaching out with it, sending people out with that message to the corners of the earth as we'll celebrate uh, tomorrow night with our mission evening. Tell me, do you feel blessed in being part of that together? building one another up week in, week out as we gather like this, as we meet in our small groups, as uh, we build up the students of this city. They're off uh, on their house party this weekend. Uh, The children and youth across the way being built up with that same gospel of this one. And uh, reaching out together. Uh, Just a month or so ago, hundreds upon hundreds were in this church building at our carol services hearing of the gospel of the Lamb. Uh, Christianity Explored began last Tuesday, International Seas been going for some weeks and then I guess the real work of our personal evangelism amongst our friends and uh, those we come across and then sending out uh, the privilege we had last week of seeing Pete Jackson back with us, uh, a man who came here I think it was about 10 years ago hoping to stick around for a year, got stuck here, uh, ended up getting sent off on the church plant to Central and is now a leading a plant from there. Amazing. And uh, again, tomorrow night we'll be rejoicing in those who we've sent out to other nations uh, with that same gospel. How good it is to be part of this work together. But here's my question in all of this, all this living and speaking for Jesus, each one of us and together as a church, uh, why is it so hard? The day-to-day of it, the uh, week-in, week-out of it. I mean, beyond the the slogans, glorifying God, building up, reaching out, sending out, beyond uh, the success stories, why is it so hard to keep going? Why is it uh, so difficult to to endure as a Christian and as a church? I suspect the feeling of uh, the difficulty that that comes uh, for each of us will be different. Uh, For some here this morning, it's hard to keep believing. Uh, The doubts weigh heavy. Uh, For others, uh, you'll come here frustrated or hurt, uh, perhaps even by people here. Or for others, uh, yes, uh, we rejoice in singing the songs that we have together, but you're weary of serving. Uh, Perhaps can't see that it's making any difference or weary of perhaps being here on a Sunday. 
weary maybe some of being surrounded by uh, those <clears throat> who aren't living this life, who haven't thrown their lot in with Jesus and frankly life looks pretty good for them. And here you are as one who follows Jesus and each step you take with him seems to involve cost, uh, loss along the way. A Christian is uh, described in our passage like this as one who follows the lamb wherever he goes, wherever he goes. Why is that so hard? Well, if you've been here in recent weeks as we've looked through Revelation together, you'll see why it is that that is so hard. You'll see the pressure, the opposition that comes on Christians and on the church. And in the midst of all of that, we have this word from God in Revelation 14, his simple word in response to all of that. Keep going. Endure. Walk on. The obvious question, uh, if you have been here in recent weeks, is how? If you uh, were here when we looked at Revelation 12 and 13, you'll have seen there revealed to us the enemy who is completely against us as we try to endure as a Christian. Utterly opposed to us. As soon as you threw your lot in with Jesus, as soon as you said, I'm with him, uh, he became enemy number one. Uh, This is what Ed Pennington, who was back with us uh, a couple of weeks ago, said of him as he's described in Revelation 12. Christian, know that there is one who hates you. When he considers your life, he wants nothing more than your death. He was pictured for us in Revelation 12 and 13 as a horrific dragon. And last week uh, we saw how much uh, he is at work uh, against us as Christians and is against us as a church. The weariness we feel as Christians from time to time, he loves that. He wants you to give up. The fruitlessness of evangelism time and time again, he loves that. The sudden end of a mission work, perhaps for a mission partner of ours, he loves that moment. And we saw last week he has human agents involved in this work all around us. Twisted humanity, as they were described in Revelation 13. Beasts. Uh, The beast in uh, 13 verse 2, a lion uh, who offers uh, strength and security. It's a picture of our whole world system. It says, rather than go with Jesus, go with the strength and the security that the world offers. Or chapter 13 verse 11, another beast out of the earth, uh, one like a lamb, a pretend saviour. The false ideologies, the false religions of this world saying, you could go this way, there's more certainty here. Revelation has shown us that we're in the middle of a war zone and as a follower of Jesus, you have a giant bullseye stuck to you. And God says to you in the midst of that, keep going. How? Well, come and see. See his uh, wonderful, I think, encouragement to us in the opening verses of Revelation 14. What can make a difference as we struggle to endure? Come and see, 14 verse 1. Then I looked... And there before me was the lamb. As you face whatever cost or feel whatever temptation to give up or go another way, what a sight to have before you. Not some phony pretend lamb, but the lamb who alone is worthy, whose blood purchased you for God. The lamb who is worthy to receive all the glory and honour and power. As the war rages all around me, I see in front of me the lamb. What could Satan throw at me now? Trouble? Hardship? Persecution? Scarcity? Could he strip from me my rights or resources or relationships? Could he bring danger my way or violence? 
We could do all of those things, but there before me is the Lamb. And as we saw last week in chapter 13, if to prison I am to go, I will go. If to death, to death I will go, because there I look before me is the Lamb. And because of him, even in all of those things, we are, Romans 8, more than conquerors. And keep looking at this vision. Not only as we look around do we see the Lamb with us, I see that I'm not alone. In the midst of uh, the chaos, this war raging all around, I see 144,000. It's a figure that uh, Revelation has already given us back in chapter 7. It's a a figure representing the whole of God's people, the church all over the world, those the Lamb has redeemed by his blood. And the point is this. Despite all that Satan has thrown at this people, and he's thrown a lot and continues to do it, not one, not one has been taken. They stand there with the lamb complete, for as he promised, none can snatch them from my hand. They are marked as his. They have his name on them, his father's name on them. They belong to God. And look where we stand with him. Mount Zion. It's the mountain where God had promised to install his king. Forget these pretend rulers, these pretend powers that we've seen. The lamb is king. There is no other. As we've already been uh, told in Revelation, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever. Now this is what we must see if we are to endure. And look closer. Now see who we are, this gathering, this 144,000, his church. Verse 4. These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they kept themselves pure. No, this isn't a picture of some hilltop monastery. This isn't a a gathering of those who have stayed clear of sex in this life. Even a a cursory look at the scriptures sees how pro-sex God is. He invented it. The first sexual thought in all history was his. He made us for it. Made it to express the complete oneness a husband and wife have. It is a powerful expression of faithfulness in marriage. And it's this idea of faithfulness that is pictured for us here. Who are those gathered with the lamb on the mountain? Those who have no other lover but him. A revelation pictures the temptations that can come on a Christian uh, as being like the advances of other lovers. Verse 8 says they're intoxicating, tempting. And we need to see the clear division that's being made here between faithful and unfaithful. Those who haven't been faithful to Jesus in this life are not some small subset of humanity. In fact, to live for anything other than him, to give your heart to anything other than him, is to be unfaithful. For your heart was made for him alone. And so let's talk plainly. Now, who has your heart this day? Now, think of where your security and strength is found. Is it in him? Now, think of where you go when you're fearful or stressed or anxious. Is it to him? You see, those on the mountain with him are not casual lovers of Jesus, but husband and wife. We are those that 2 Corinthians 11 says are promised to one husband, to Christ. And so this calls for patient endurance. Now look further with me in verse 4. See who we are. These are those who follow the lamb wherever he goes. I love that. That's a, that's a, a wonderful job description. Now, there's, there's something to take into this week ahead. If you're wondering what your job is as a Christian, what am I meant to do this week? I'm meant to follow the lamb wherever he goes. 
Again, Revelation is unveiling for us the clear division between those who belong to Jesus and those who don't. Who you are is a question of who you follow. I don't think we like that idea of being followers. We like to think we're self-determining people. We're forging our own path in life. But Revelation (coughs) tells us the truth here. It says we all follow something. Revelation 13 last week gave us one side of that division. Verse 3 of 13 said there are those who follow the beast, follow the way of the world, who bet on the wisdom and the strength of the world. And again, it's not a few, but most who bet this way. If you aren't living for the Lamb, if the steps of your life aren't set by his before you, by the sound of his voice calling you on, then you are one who follows the lie that says you have no need to follow him or listen to him in this life. That you can choose your own way, that you can live for whatever you like. You can live for money, for reputation, for pleasure, for career, for travel, for family, whatever you like. But those gathered on the mountain with the Lamb are those who follow the Lamb wherever he goes, wherever he goes. This is the one who said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. You've got to be pretty sure he's worth following, don't you? He bids you come follow me on the road to the cross. Follow the Lamb wherever he goes. Will you know where he went? Are you sure he's worth following? This calls for patient endurance. One final look at who we are again in verse 4. These are those who are purchased from among men and offered as first fruits to God. It's humbling, isn't it? If by chance, as we've looked at this description in verse 4, we've started a, a sort of a swell of pride. I'm one of the followers of Jesus. I've chosen well. Haven't I done well? I've kept faithful. Well, here we have one uh, description that makes sure that we don't paint ourselves as the heroes on that mountaintop. We had naught to do with it. Out of the rubble of humanity, you were purchased at great cost by the blood of the Lamb. You had nothing to do with it. It was his work. He's the hero, not us. The songs sung on that mountaintop are all for him. You were bought at a price. You are not your own. You were bought to follow the Lamb. And so there it is, a stirring vision. Uh, Here is what we need to see as we struggle to endure, as we grow weary along the way, as the hits come, whether they be big ones or small ones. See the lamb, see him on Mount Zion with his people, purchased by his blood, pure and blameless, following his voice, marked as his, and none can take you. No wonder they're singing mighty songs, we're told in verses 2 and 3, songs of great power like thunder, and beauty like the harps. What a vision. Well, that's not all God shows us. Alongside this stirring vision is an incredibly sobering one. Revelation shows us what heaven is doing as this war rages on, and it's doing more than just protecting us. Heaven is not in sort of bunker mode, hoping the storm of Satan's attacks will pass. Heaven is in the battle. And that's depicted for us in the three angels that follow, three angels showing us how heaven is on the move in this battle. First, verse 6, Then I saw another angel flying in midair. He had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language and people. Here's what heaven is doing in the battle. Active in this world, all over this world, proclaiming the gospel of this land, proclaiming this king, announcing his victory, announcing this rescue. 
calling people to come to him. This is what God is doing in our world and he is doing it through us. Announcing that gospel in these last days and then verse 7, calling upon the world to respond rightly. Here you see in verse 7 the obligation on all humankind in the wake of the gospel. Fear God. Give him glory. The hour of his judgment has come. In other words, believe, surrender and follow. That's what the gospel calls for. Surrender, total surrender to Jesus. As you did if you are a Christian here this morning. And that's what we're about. It's an urgent work. It's an ongoing work. And if you want to see how urgent it is, have a look at these next two angels as they fly from heaven. And just as we look at them, uh, let me ask you this. Tell me honestly, have you ever felt uh, frustrated by the constant refrain of evangelism coming from our vicar? A constant welcome of newcomers and unbelievers amongst us. A constant missions. There's one big question. There was one plus one equals 2,000. Who knows what's next? You name it, it keeps coming. Evangelism, evangelism. You ever want it all toned down a bit? Hard not to feel that way. I understand the sentiment. I think it's my tendency. I'm a homebody. Holy huddles are nice, aren't they? You, me, the lamb on the mountain singing our songs. That's why I love working for my boss. To have someone who won't let me get too comfortable because here is what I need to hear when I grow tired and weary of evangelism. Only if I don't know what the time is, right now the time, the hour of his judgment has come, only if I forget that, only if I have not soberly stared at the devastating dimensions of the judgment that is to come on this world will I feel that way. The last part of our vision as we come towards a close tonight, today is designed to bring us soberly to tears. To be those who echo the words of Paul in Philippians, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. The second angel appears in verse 8 and announces the end of the war. Because of the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ, the Lamb wins. Now Babylon here signifies all of human civilization, the secular project, life without God, building life without God, in all its pomp and circumstance, all culture and society and intellect and commerce and politics and religion, all promising a better way of prosperity and strength and salvation without him, fallen, we're told, before the mighty risen Lord Jesus. This angel announces to the world that he disarmed the powers and authorities of this world, triumphing over them on the cross. This angel announces to the world that he has set a day when he will judge the world by justice, by the man he has appointed, and he has proved it by raising him from the dead. And so, brothers and sisters, hear with sober hearts the detail of that judgment. First, who will be judged? It's not a small group. Any not belonging to Jesus, any not in a faithful relationship with him, not purchased by his blood, not prepared to follow him wherever he goes, any not marked as his will be judged, for they bear another mark, the mark of this world. I wonder, I wonder how many do you know and love that this description is true of? When we're honest, when we don't put a sort of a Christian sheen over their life, but tell the truth that we know in our heart and they know in their heart that they don't belong to him. Now, how many in your family? Can you count them? How many? I know this breaks your heart. 
It does mine. Just a a few weeks ago, I was back in Sydney for uh, my sister's wedding and had a a few moments, really. That's all it was with my brother, and he's my project number one. I want to see him come to the Lord. The very first verse I heard when I got to Sydney was the verse that says that Andrew, the disciple Andrew, when he became a Christian, first thing he did was go tell his brother. So I said to myself, this week, I'm going to make sure I do that. And the last words he said to me, it's rubbish. It's all just words. This should break your heart. This is play for keep stuff. This is the main question. Are they with him? Go beyond family and friends and neighbours to street after street after street in forward to shopkeepers, colleagues, not marked as he's not following him, not in the one safe place to be when judgment comes. Does it break your heart? Does it cause you to tremble? This is dreadful. Revelation says those who have drunk the wine of this world who have bet the lot on, against God, who live the lie that says, I can live in his world without him and without consequence. Those who have drunk deeper that lie, well, read for yourself, verse 10, will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. There is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and his image. It's not partial. It's not temporary, but the full strength of the God who made everything poured out in utter opposition to those who live without him. Poured into the cup of his wrath. The cup, by the way, that Jesus drank for you and I. To the last dregs he drank it for you. Till it was finished. And he drinks it for any who would come to him. But for those who will not, the cup remains. It will be a cup of torment, we're told. You know, Jesus speaks about this more than anyone in the scriptures. Half of his parables are about it. The torment of this judgment will be horrific. This is what Jesus says about it. It will be a place of tormented consciences, a place of shame and contempt, a place of eternal justice. A place for those with a death wish, a place away from God's blessing, a place of hopelessness, torment, agony and tears. And verse 11 says that judgment will go on forever. There will be no rest. And again, verse 11, and this is important to see, it is a judgment in the presence of and by the hand of the Lamb, by Jesus. He's there. He's the appointed judge. As our passage ends, we see pictured Jesus as king swinging the sickle of judgment. People are gathered up into the winepress of God's wrath and verse 20, they were trampled in the winepress outside the city and blood flowed out of the press, rising as high as a horse's bridle for some 180 miles. And we struggle to get our head around this picture. And it is only a picture of what will happen, but we struggle to conceive of it. Because I reckon today we don't believe it. We don't believe in hell. What we fear most for ourselves and those we love, especially those who aren't with him, uh, we're afraid of sort of temporary uh, judgments that can come. We're afraid of uh, cancer or war or poverty or abuse or a bad marriage, but not hell. Jesus says this, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after killing the body, has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. 
Jesus, who gave us life and breath and everything else, who died and rose again, ascended King and Kings, of Lord of Lords, claims all nations, all people, all things on planet Earth. As we close, I leave you with this quote, which I think sums it up. God did not ordain the cross of Christ or create hell in order to convey the insignificance of belittling his glory. The death of the Son of God and the judgment of unrepentant human beings are the loudest shouts conceivable under heaven that God is infinitely holy, that sin is infinitely offensive, that wrath is infinitely just and that grace is infinitely precious and that this brief little life that you and I live and all in our world live is going to issue very quickly into everlasting joy or everlasting pain before him. In a moment we will come to communion. We will come to the table of this lamb. As we prepare for that, uh, let me encourage you to do two things as you come forward. Uh, The first is this, marvel. Marvel at how blessed you are. If you are his, if you have come to him in repentance and faith, you have been purchased by his blood. And God says to you, verse 13, you are blessed. You're safe with him. Not even death can harm you. And all that awaits you the other side of death is not judgment, but rest. Marvel at that. He drank the cup for you. It's finished. And on this first one, marveling at this, if you're not his this morning, could I encourage you to consider him again? Consider who shed his blood for you. I could ask you and encourage you to keep asking questions about him, to come on the CE course this Tuesday, and that would be a brilliant thing to do. But there is no better time than right now to come to him. He is the one safe place. And so please do come forward, take communion, let that be you saying I'm with him. And finally, let each of us resolve, verse 12, to patiently endure. Resolve that whatever comes today and each day after, we will patiently wait for him, wholeheartedly follow him and passionately speak of him while there is time. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, this is a heavy word, a weighty word that you lay before us in Revelation. The word about this glorious Lamb who is our Saviour and our Judge. Father, may we be those who indeed marvel at his sacrifice and who run to him. Amen.